0: All right. Good morning. Good morning, church. It is still morning, isn't it? Yes, it is. Fantastic. Can everyone hear me okay? All coming through. Fantastic. Great. Even at the back there, you can hear me? Good. Good, good, good. All right. Wonderful. Well, my name is Alex. As Mark said, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope Church, and it is my my joy and my privilege this morning to be carrying on our series looking at hidden figures in the Easter story, and today we're going to be looking at Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, and when you're doing a talk at church, um, the first place you go when you're looking at a character like Pilate um, is to Google to find out the background of the character. Google's a little bit dangerous if you're someone like me who's a bit of a procrastinator. I get distracted very easily, um, especially if you misspell the name. So just, just a few things I found on my kind of rabbit hole adventures on the path to learning about Pontius Pilot. Um, I managed to learn that airline pilots spend twice as long performing flight checks as they do flying. Um, apparently, Pilot was the name of a Scottish rock band in the early 1970s. Um, And I learned that East Ham Leisure Centre runs a Pilates class at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. Um, So you're all here. Wonderful. You're not there. Um, However, after my detour, I did find out some really helpful and interesting stuff. So hopefully I can share a little bit of that with you this morning. And today we're going to be just unpacking really what Pilate's role is in the Easter story and what his part in the narrative teaches us about Jesus and our relationship with him. Now, today's not going to be a history lesson. Um, you know, we're going to be grounded in Scripture, as always. But I think the interesting thing about Pilate is we're calling this series Hidden Figures. But in many ways, Pilate isn't really a hidden figure in the, in the Easter story. And there's multiple reasons for that. I think one is, is that historically, there's a lot of evidence that Pilate was a, was a real person. And there's a lot of historical artifacts, a lot of historical writings, a lot of, a lot of information all about Pilate that we can find in history itself. Unlike characters like Simon of Cyrene or Joseph of Arimathea, Pilate is not a character you can easily forget from the, from the um, Eastern narrative. And if you're interested in the history of Pilate, there was a fantastic YouTube video um, I found from a channel called 10 Minute Bible Hour all about the history of of, uh, of Pilate, so do check that out if you have time. It's about an hour long, but it's really, really fascinating stuff. I also think Pilate isn't a massively hidden figure in a way because actually Pilate's role is really, I think, so central to the Easter story itself. If you remove some of the other characters we've looked at from the story, Simon of Cyrene or Barabbas or or Joseph of Arimathea, I would even argue to some extent Judas, the narrative would probably still have gone in the same direction. But when you get to um, you get to Pilate, there's like a decision point here where the narrative could have gone in a completely different way. It could have gone in a completely different direction, all based on Pilate's decision. And let me just read from you, uh, from what's called the Apostles' Creed. I don't know what kind of church background you're from. Myself, in the Church of England, um, growing up, this is something we used to read very regularly. And generations of Christians have have read this for years and years. And I'm just going to read the first part for now. But just listen out to this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, and then it it goes on. This is a wonderful prayer and summary of the Christian faith, but you notice that there's only three characters mentioned. One of them is Jesus. One of them is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And one of them is Pontius Pilate. He's that central to the story of the Christian faith. And yet when we think of Pilate, we think of quite a conflicted character, don't we? When you think of Judas, his name has become synonymous in history with betrayal, right? You you call someone a Judas, he's someone who's betrayed you, who's let you down, sort of treachery. And yet Pilate is someone, when I was investigating this, that different Christian uh, traditions have very different views on to some degree. And I think we can have a a similar thing. In, in, In Eastern Orthodox Christianity, the kind of blame for what happened to Jesus is almost entirely on the Jewish leaders. And Pilate actually is venerated as almost like a, a saint, you know, because there's, there's all these stories about after, afterwards he became a Christian, he did all these good things. There's nothing in history that kind of can prove this, but in certain traditions, they, they think that Pilate and his wife became saints. In some traditions, they think that Pilate, after the fact, killed himself like Judas did. we don't really know. When you look at the history of Pilate, there's a little bit after Jesus, and then it just kind of ends. It's a bit like when Charles was talking to us about Barabbas. We don't know what happened to Pilate really after this story. But what we can say is that he was a very conflicted man, a very conflicted character. He wasn't sure which way to go. And that's kind of a question we need to think about, isn't it? Was, Was Pilate, was he just spineless and weak? Or was he simply stuck in an impossible situation with an impossible choice? Did he even have a choice at all? And I think, as always, the best place to go back to and to look at is the original eyewitness accounts that we find in the Gospels. So we're going to look at the book of Matthew. Um, and the, the story, actually, of Pilate and the kind of the, that part of the Eastern narrative appears in all four Gospels. So we could have gone to any of them. But we're going to look at the book of Matthew. We're going to start in verses 1 to 2, and then we're going to jump ahead to from verse 11. So, Matthew 27, verse 1 to 2. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And then the story goes on talking about Judas, but then now we jump back in verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied that when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, and to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? "'What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah?' Pilate asked. And they all answered, "'Crucify him!' "'Why? What crime has he committed?' asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, "'Crucify him!' When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. "'I am innocent of this man's blood,' he said. "'It is your responsibility.' All the people answered, "'His blood is on us and on our children.' Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So what do we think? Did Pilate particularly want to crucify Jesus? No, I don't don't think he did. Did he try and find a way out of the situation? Yeah, he, he seemed to try a few different angles to get out of that. Was he in a difficult position? Absolutely. Did he still have to make a choice yes he had to make a choice and at this point um, you know usually in a talk you kind of build up to your main point but I just want to lay it on the table right now and just put out there that I think the big message today the big message that I think this passage is saying to us is that there's a question that every human being in history has to answer There's a question that Pilate is grappling with in this passage that every human being has to answer. That's the very heart of the gospel. And that question is, is Jesus who he says he is? And if so, what are we going to do about it? That's a question that every human being has to grapple with. Pilate is grappling with that question here. Is this man innocent? And then if he is, what do I have to do with that? But we all have to grapple with the question, is Jesus who he says he is? And if so, what does that mean for our lives? See, if you're new to the church, if you're, if you're a new Christian or you're, or, or you're still not sure what you think about that, I would really invite you to come along to Alpha. It's a great way to explore this question. But I want to say today that you can't sit on the fence about this. At some point, you're going to have to make a decision. Do you think Jesus is who he says he is or not? We all have to make a choice. And if you've been a Christian for a long time and you believe and you trust in Jesus, can I invite you to keep reflecting on that question? You know, especially what are you going to do about it? If you believe that, what does that mean? Because Pilate reflected on it, but then how he acts is then a second part to that story, isn't it? What are you going to do about it? What does that mean for your life? We all have to make a choice. And the impact of that choice is massive. So that's the big picture message today, just putting out there. If there's one thing you remember, one thing you kind of keep there in your head, just we all have to make a choice. Just like Pilate, we have to make a choice. Is Jesus who he says he is? And then what are we going to do about that? But kind of digging a little bit deeper... There's a couple of things, I think, from that question that I want to sort of pull out for us this morning. I think one of those is a bit of a challenge for us. And then one of those, I think, is more of an encouragement. Looking at Pilate's response to that question. What does Pilate's response give us as kind of from a challenge point of view? And where is there an encouragement in that? So let's start with the challenge this morning. We all have to make a choice. But the challenge is when the pressure's on, what choice do we make? You see, Pilate was obviously, like I said, a historical figure with lots of records about him, a very important man. So we we know a lot more about him than many other characters. So I found out that actually at the time of all this going on, one of Pilate's great political allies had actually been arrested on suspicion of trying to conspire against Caesar. And so Pilate probably at this point was very conscious of his position. He was very conscious that he was under a lot of scrutiny. He himself was kind of linked to this man who was in big trouble. So he was probably under a lot, a lot of pressure, his end. And it makes sense when you see the passage And in, you know, in John's account in chapter 19, verse 12. It says this, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar so you can see that the Jewish leaders were getting under his skin and reminding him you know you know your your position's, you know in doubt here you've got to you got to follow through on this so Pilate had a lot of pressure going on under the surface and how does Pilate handle that pressure and when we talk about this when I talk about this maybe have it just a in the back of your mind does that sound familiar to you and we have to make a decision does that sound familiar to you so how does Pilate deal with this choice that he has to make? Well, first of all, he tries to pass the choice on to other people, doesn't he? He, tries to first, he first tries to pass the choice on to the chief priests. Again, in John's account, chapter 18, verse 29, he says, he says, so Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law, but we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. In Jew, under Roman law, Pilate is the one who had to execute this man. He had to be the one to make a decision, but he's trying to pass it on to the chief priest who brought him before, before Pilate. He tried to pass it on to them. And then later, in, in Luke's gospel, we read about how he tries to pass the choice on to Herod. So he's the king in, um, in Israel. He's the king in this region. Luke 23, verse 7, when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. He tries to pass the choice on to him. And if you read more in the story, then Herod, he can't find anything wrong. He he just passes him back to Pilate. And finally, we read, didn't we, in the the account in Matthew, that he passes the choice to to the crowd. It was the governor's custom to release a prisoner. And he tries to say, do you want to release Jesus, Barabbas, or Jesus, the Messiah? Do you want to release Barabbas or Jesus? He passes the choice on. He tries to palm it off, palm it off. Palmer, for every opportunity, Pilate tries to pass the buck and give the decision to someone else. Does that sound familiar when we have difficult decisions that we have to make, when we have to step out and make challenging decisions and make challenging choices? The second thing I think Pilate tries to do um, to get out of making this decision, he tries to have it kind of a bit of both ways. And this is, again, from, from John's account now. In John 19... It says this, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. And then they went up to him again and said, hail, king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. In John's account, he sort of, Pilate goes back and forth. He speaks to Jesus, then brings him out, then speaks to Jesus and brings him out. In this case, he takes Jesus out of the way, gets him beaten up, punished, and then brings him up to the crowd to almost say, Look, I've, I've, done, I've punished him. Is that enough? Is that enough for you? He tries to kind of go halfway. You know, the crowd want him dead. And he's saying, Well, it, I still think he's innocent. But if we just beat him up a bit, if we just rough him up a bit, is that enough? He tries to kind of have his cake and eat it. He tries to have it both ways. He thinks he's innocent, but he'll still do something, but just not all the way. And as we know, the crowd, they don't have it. But he's still trying to get out of this decision, isn't he? He's trying, to do th- he's trying to get out of having to make an ultimate decision here. And the third thing I think Pilate tries to do is he tries to blame someone else. We saw that, didn't we, at the end of the, the account in Matthew. He washes his hands. He says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. He tries to say, it's, it's, it's all your fault that I'm making this decision. think the challenge is, for those of us who know and believe Jesus is who he says he is, the challenge is when we're faced with external pressure and we have to make that choice, we have to make that stand, we have to make make a conscious choice to, to stand for Jesus, when the rubber hits the road, what do we do? What choice do we make? Do we pass the decision off? We try and find the way out of it that way? Do we try and sort of only go halfway? We sort of try and sort of do both, Yes and no. We try and blame someone else. Oh, yeah, but it's not me. You know, it's yeah. I I think this, but it's not really me. See, we, we may not be pilot, but we live in an age where there was plenty of voices shouting at us. All kinds of things. You know, we have advertisements constantly bombarding us. We have the mainstream media giving us one message. We have people on social media giving probably very different messages. We have politicians and corporations, and everyone's shouting things at us. And most of those voices are saying to us that trusting Jesus is who he says he is, is foolish, is stupid, or is wrong. Most of those voices are shouting at us and shouting at us. And we need to acknowledge that that pressure is there, but also acknowledge that sometimes we still have to make a choice. Sometimes we still have to make a choice about what we're going to do, what we're going to say, what we're going to stand up for in situations. Like Pilate, we can't always wiggle out of it. We can't always get away from it. Because sometimes those voices will challenge us and say, what do you think? And then what are you going to do in that pressure situation? There are decisions in life you just can't sit on the fence about. And Pilate, maybe if Pilate had stayed in that nice courtroom speaking to Jesus directly, you know, it said he was amazed by Jesus I'm sure he would have probably let him go, right? But that's not the way the world works. We don't live in a nice little Christian bubble. Right now, if I said to you, you know, uh, if I challenged you on your faith, would you do it? I'm sure right now, yeah, I I could handle it. But we're in this nice building surrounded by nice, mostly nice people. Um, And and you know what? Like, it's, it's nice and comfortable and cozy. And yes, right now, I'm sure we would say all the right things and do all the right things. when the pressure's on, when the mob is shouting at us, baying at us, there's pressure all around, what choice are we going to make then? And you may be asking, well, how do we make sure we even make the right decision under pressure? I think just one thing I would say is I think the key is, what voices are we listening to? What voices are we listening to? Do you notice that Pilate's wife warned him and said, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. And yet he doesn't listen to that voice he doesn't listen to the voice in his conscience that was amazed at Jesus. And, and multiple times he says that this man is innocent. What he listened to were the chief priests and the crowd. And probably in the back of his mind, that thought of what happens if I lose my position? What happens if I get arrested? What happens if things go out, get out of hand here? I think a, a positive example of, of characters in the Bible who make a good decision uh, would be Abraham. Abraham. Now, in the story of Abraham, I'm sure you're aware that he for many years prayed for for, for a son or a daughter but prayed for an heir. Um, And and his wife couldn't have children. And then finally, God blesses him and gives him him, his son, Isaac. And then we read in the story that, you know, God promises to Abraham that he would have descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. And then one day God says to him, take Isaac up to a mountain and kill him sacrifice him for me. And Abraham just goes and does it. He, he, he t- t- starts taking those steps up the mountain with his son. And we know in the story, he gets to the top and God says, no, 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 that's not what's going to happen. I've got an animal here. You can sacrifice that instead. But Abraham, can you imagine the pressure he must have felt in that moment when God said to him, take your son, this, 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 this child they've been praying about and just wanting and desperate for, for so long and saying sacrifice him. But you know what Abraham did? He he probably he, he must have known that God had promised that his descendants would outnumber the stars, outnumber the grains of sand. He knew what God had promised and he trusted in this God who had given him a son, who had led him to this point. He trusted in God's promise. He trusted in God's words to him. And practically for me, I mean, just there's lots of different ways that could work for us in our life. For me, there's a couple of things. One is I, I, I might listen to sort of worship music, you know, uh, kind of on a regular basis and fill my mind with those kinds of voices, those kinds of, you know, hearing, hearing wonderful, you know, life-giving words from that. And particularly if you're able to work from home or you've got a journey to and from work or there's times in your day that you can work that in, I think that's a really helpful, healthy thing to just kind of fill your mind and fill your heart with, with those kinds of uh, voices. Or sometimes it's just about repeating the kind of promises of God in your life that will help you to get through those situations. You know, so so Matthew 11, 28 says, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" Now, you may want to memorize that, or you can just repeat to yourself God gives me rest. God gives me rest. You know, in those situations where you're stressed and you're just tired, God gives me rest. Or, you know, the, the, the passage in Joshua, you know, 1 9, this is my command be strong, and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Just, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. But we've got to make sure that the voices we're listening to, are the right voices. That I think is a, is a key component to this. There's, there's so many other passages, so many other kind of helpful things you could, you could repeat to yourself or you could fill your mind with, but just I would encourage you, just make sure you're filling your mind with those voices. If you feel like you're not getting those, just think of ways you can do it. Listen to really helpful podcasts or music or, or just all or kind of, you know, you can get the Bible on audio, just you can listen to that. But which voices are we listening to, I think is a key question. So that's the challenge for us this morning, I think. You know, when we kind of dig under the surface, the challenge is is when the pressure's on, what choice are we going to make? But there's also, I think, an encouragement when we look at Pilate's response. There's a challenge in it, because Pilate clearly made the wrong choice. When the pressure was on, he listened to the wrong voices. But I think there's also a strange sort of encouragement to what we see here. Because you see, Pilate had everything he needed in front of him to make the right decision, didn't he? He had spoken to Jesus and he was amazed. You know, he didn't feel, you know, Jesus didn't defend himself and Pilate was amazed by that. So he clearly thought well of the man. The passage we read says, doesn't he, he knew Jesus had been brought before him on the trumped up charges. You know, verse 18, he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. So he knew that. And he says, that he, I believe this man is innocent in the gospel of John. It says, he says three times He says, I find no guilt in him. He knew Jesus wasn't guilty. And he even has his wife has a dream that says, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. He's got everything in front of him to make the right choice. And yet he still makes the wrong call. You know, I think, I feel like, to me, when I was thinking of it, it's like the old adage, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? Literally, everything was on the plate for him to make the right call. And yes, there was all this pressure, but he had everything he needed, and yet he still went a different way. And you may think, well, how is that encouraging? I think it's encouraging because we all know people in our life like Pilot. People we've invested time and energy into, perhaps we've led them to a certain point in their journey, and you think they're going to take that step to become a Christian, and then they go a completely different direction. Or maybe they've been struggling with something, you know, something over time, some sort of addiction or challenge in their life, and you've been journeying with them. It seems like everything is laid on a plate for them to make that decision, and suddenly they seem to turn back. They say no. They turn away. They let the pressures of life lead them to a different path. See, we can make our decision but we can't make the decision for someone else. And that's a challenge. That's a hard thing to hear, isn't it? Because we, we, we feel like we should be able to do all these things and get people to the right place. But it doesn't always go that way. But you know what? That's actually, I think that's encouraging because you know what? It's completely freeing to say the rest of, the rest of this is in God's hands. We can make our decision and we can help someone else to, to try and make their decision, but the rest is in God's hands. You know, I've had people in my life that I've journeyed with. I've discipled, you know, a long, a, kind of kind of a long time over time. And then for various reasons, they've either turned away from the Christian faith or they've, you know, just kind of gone separate ways and it's not gone well. And it, it could be very easy to look back and go, oh, what a waste of time. Oh, what a waste of time it was. To, oh, why did, did I invest all this time and energy into this? and It didn't go the way I'd hoped. But you know what? what happens next is in God's hands. What happens next is in God's hands. It's not in our hands. It's not in our power. And I think it's freeing for us to know that because so often we focus on the outcome, don't we? So fo- so often we focus on what happens and we say, if it goes wrong, if this person doesn't make a commitment to Jesus, if this person doesn't turn their life around, then that's somehow our fault. That's somehow on us. But we're just called to do our bit and then the rest is in God's hands. In Matthew 13, I was reminded of this and when I was thinking about this uh, and reflecting on this. Uh, Jesus tells a parable about a sower, doesn't he? He sows seed, and some of those seeds land on a path, and the birds come and eat it. Uh, and some of those seeds land, on, land in the rocks, and they kind of shoot up, and then they get burnt by the sun because they have no roots. And some of those seeds land in thorns, and they get twisted up, and they, don't, they can't grow. And then some land in good soil, and they grow up. And Jesus explain, goes on to later explain this story, and he says this, this is about how people receive the gospel. This is about how people receive the good news. People don't always receive it how we'd want them to. In fact, if we're thinking about Pilate, and I was thinking about this, I thought, oh, in, in verse 22 of Matthew 13, Jesus says this about what, what, what um, being sown among the thorns might mean. As for, those, as for what was sown among thorns, that is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And I thought, well, that sounds really similar to Pilate, doesn't it? The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. He was so concerned about the pressure around him, about all the people shouting and his popularity, about his position, that even though he had everything there to make the right call, he got choked by everything that was going on around him. The truth didn't take root in Pilate, and it's I just want to encourage you this morning that we are are here, we are called to be sowers of the seed. We are here, we are called to be people who plant and people who water, but it is God who brings the growth. It is God who brings the next bit. In 1 Corinthians 3, it's very clearly laid out. Paul, Paul is speaking, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So when we approach our friends, our colleagues, our family with the gospel, it may seem like everything's laid out for them. Everything's there. We've done all the right things. But know that even if they take a different step to what you were hoping for, the rest is in God's hands. May encourage you to not measure success by what happens at at the end of it. And that's incredibly freeing, isn't it? It's incredibly freeing to say that we do our bit and then God does his bit. I see what happened to Pilate is disheartening, isn't it? We look at Pilate and you go, he could have made a completely different decision. But also it leads to the most pivotal moment in human history where God steps in and takes our punishment in our place and gives us the opportunity to know him. See, we need to trust that even when things don't go the way we'd hope, things are in God's hands. So I'm going to kind of wrap things up. And again, the big picture message this morning is we all have to make a choice. We all have to. Every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, we all have to make a choice. Is Jesus who he says he is? And if so, what are you going to do about that? And the challenge is when the pressure's on, what choice do we make then? We can make that choice now in our minds, in this room, all comfy and cozy. What choice do we make when the pressure's on? But also the encouragement is, and but then the rest is in God's hands. The rest is in God's hands. We make our choice. We can help others along the way, but the rest is in God's hands. Pilate had everything laid out for him, and he still went a different way. But still God used that as well, didn't he? He used that incredible, incredible way. So we're going to end... This morning, and I'm going to invite Jonathan and Tom to come up in a moment and lead us in the final song. And I'm, I'm going to end actually by reading through the whole of the Apostles' Creed that I started reading earlier. This is a, a wonderful prayer. It's a wonderful prayer that summarizes the Christian faith. And you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful because this morning, what, what, we, what we're saying we believe in what I'm calling us to make a choice about is laid out clearly here. So I'm going to read it out, and then we're actually going to sing the song called The Creed, which, which is basically like a modern sort of version of that that we're going to sing together. So I'm going to read this out for us. And some of us here this morning may have already made our choice. You know, many of us here have already see ourselves as Christians, and we believe Jesus is who he says he is. So I kind of encourage you to reflect on what that means for your life. What does that actually mean? If you believe that, what does that then mean? How 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 are you going to respond to that thing that you say you believe in, that we're going to read now and you're going to say amen to? And some of you here may have made that choice a long time ago, and you've just been kind of turning the wheels, turning the wheels, but maybe you feel like you're sort of on the fence. I just want to say to you this morning that we all have to make a choice. I encourage you to reflect on this, pray on this, and if you if you want to this morning just kind of kind of re, kind of of recommit yourself, then when, we, then, then when I say this prayer, at the end, maybe you want to say amen. You can say it out loud, you can say it in your head, but maybe you want to sort of read this prayer along and think, yeah, I want to recommit myself and say, yeah, this is what I believe. I think it'll make a real difference in your life. And some of you here maybe, or some of you watching online, have never made this choice before. And like I said, I would encourage you to really reflect on this. Please sign up to Alpha. Please find someone in the church to talk to, to speak to you about this, to join you at Alpha. And I just, just, just to say that if you do choose to say yes to Jesus, whether it's now or weeks or months ahead, whenever you do, I just want to encourage you, it'll be the best decision you will ever make in your life. It's decision time. We all have to make a choice. So I'm going to pray this wonderful prayer for myself, and if you agree, you can pray it along in your head as well, and then say amen with me at the end, and then we're going to sing it all, sing together. Just to kind of say that in this prayer, it's quite an old prayer, and so um, it, it does say the Holy Catholic Church, but it's a Catholic with a small c, and the word Catholic just means united, it just means united church, it's not Roman Catholic Church, it just means united, that's what the word Catholic means. It talks about the communion of saints And that's just all of us. Again, it's not saints in the Catholic sense. In the Bible, we are all saints. All believers are saints. So I'm going to to read out this prayer for us this morning. And then Jonathan and Tom are going to lead us in singing a song together that's basically us singing and proclaiming out this thing that we believe. We all have to make this choice. Let's make it again this morning. So let me pray to finish. I believe in God, the Father Almighty,